This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hey, Vocal Perspective listeners. This is Rachel, and I'm here with, obviously, my co-host, Amanda, and our fabulous guest for today, Chris Adams, who is a member of Epic, the barbershop quartet, which is uh, their Harmony Queens. And she, particularly, is doing such amazing things that we brought her on to chat with us. So welcome, Chris. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Very good. Great. It's so funny to talk to Chris this way because I actually sing with her in her new quartet. And I see her about four or five times a week now because we've got internationals coming up. But it's nice to see her in a different capacity, a little bit anyway. Yeah, I agree. This is it's not even a turn of the tables or anything. It's just a weird table to be sitting at with you, Amanda. I'm, <laughs> I'm blessed. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Sure. So for those who don't know your illustrious background, can you share with people how you got involved in Barbershop? My background goes all the way back to conception, I like to tell people. My parents (laughs) didn't meet through Barbershop, but that was probably the quickest connection they had to each other was through music. My dad had been a musician just playing guitar to get the ladies, as he would say. And my mom had studied violin and piano classically for her all of her life, but chose to go into elementary education and special education instead of studying music. She's the reason I played piano, the reason my brother studied music. She was such an inspiration to us getting in, involved in the music, but my dad had gotten invited to a barbershop rehearsal by one of his colleagues at work. My dad was a car salesman, and his fellow car salesman was going to these men's barbershop rehearsals every Tuesday night after work. So my dad started going. My dad's like, I can sing. And my dad has a great voice. That was the beginning of the end. He <laughs> he was sucked in from there, and his barbershop took him to England. I remember my parents actually go back a little farther. My parents and up being married at a barbershop convention. It wasn't either of their first marriages, so they didn't want to make a big to-do, but all their best friends and the people that meant the most to them were there. So Mm -hmm. my dad had just gotten done competing, and they had, I I don't know if they won their district that year, but my dad was sicker than a dog from what I heard, and they just (laughs) stumbled over to this little, like, conference room across from the hotel bar. They had to go ask the band in the hotel to be quiet, and... (laughs) My parents got married at a barbershop convention, and that was in April. And in July of that year, which is the annual men's international competition, they found out they were pregnant with me. So I really do believe that barbershop was bestowed upon me. There was no other way to look at it. I was eight weeks old. My parents went to London on a barbershop trip. So most of my family vacations were barbershop. My brain just was involved in barbershop and, and exposed to barbershop from a very early age, which then luckily led me down a path of music education and I spent some time doing barbershop in high school and when I went to college it was one of those weird do my college professors love barbershop do they not love barbershop is this my weird rebel music that I'm singing Um, yes because when people hear barbershop (laughs) the first thing they think of is rebel oh yeah shockingly in the call in the (laughs) collegiate classical world they do they're like oh my gosh what are they doing with their voices (laughs) I had a cool teacher who really loved madrigal singers and the king singers so So I feel like I was able to relate a little bit to him and he helped me through that. And that's when I, (laughs) this is a little bit of a funny story. The reason I chose ultimately to go to the college I went to was because of barbershop. Why? I was in high school and I might obviously been a barbershop for my whole life. These other girls wanted a quartet. Everybody's ready to like win a crown and we want to compete. And they knew I was getting ready to go to college. Well, I had the opportunity to audition for the Voices of Lee. Oh yeah, At Lee University. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to do it. And of course, my parents are freaking out because that's in Tennessee and I'm in Indiana. Well, then all of a sudden, all these barbershop people start freaking out. That's in Tennessee. That's not Indiana. So the next thing I know, I've got people saying, if you go to Indiana State, we will start a quartet. And it's going to be amazing. And I really had wanted to stay closer to home anyway, but it was just one of those moments where you went, okay, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I don't have to stress out. And I think that's something that's incredible about barbershop as well as acapella is that that could have been a really terrible transition for me, trying to move away from home, trying to move away from just a community of people that that had, had raised me as a musician. Yeah. So that's when I jumped into my very first strongly competitive quartet called Hot Topic. Yeah. And we won our championship. I mean, that was 2003, I believe. I'm having a really hard time with these dates. That's what your website says. So I'm going to go with that. (laughs) That's been a long time. So I went to college (laughs) and it took us a while to get into the formation that we were in to win. We didn't rehearse as much at that point, but when we finally decided to get together, we formed in April Mm -hmm. and by November we had won our championship. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so thanks to the ladies of Hot Topic for keeping me in the state of Indiana and sticking with it. So that's where my first championship came from. That's amazing. So after you went through university or college and you moved Mm -hmm. on to, you're not seeing my air quotes, the real world, (laughs) was it very clear to you that it sounds like that barbershop was just going to be a common thread that it was going to stick through? Yeah, I've never known a time in my life where barbershop wasn't there. I mean, I prioritized it over many things. Uh, Back (laughs) to the college a little bit, I almost didn't graduate college. We had these credits you had to get that were contemporary music credits. And if you didn't get so many, you didn't graduate. And the only time they do that is one week in October or November. Actually, it was the beginning of November every year. And that's when Harmony Incorporated its international is. So I would often beg and beg and beg and beg my way <laughs> into credits. And I had to do that the very last semester. But it was more that just I just extended my college by another semester to do it, which was not exciting to my parents. I was just going to say, <laughs> I bet your parents love that. <laughs> However, that's how incredibly supportive of me my parents are and Mm. I should say back then they understood the sacrifices of barbershop more than anybody around me could and yeah this was a true hobby there wasn't a single penny coming back to me at this point yeah there were zero (laughs) costs being covered by the quartet or by anyone barbershop was truly a hobby that you poured everything you had into and so at Mm. that point this was to get my this was our championship And then to get my permanent crown, those two internationals were the two that almost caused me not to be able to graduate in less than five years. But I did it in four and a half. Yes. Thanks to the very nice, wonderful staff at Indiana State University for being flexible with that and understanding that what I was doing was also really important to my education. So when you like moving forward, like there was never a question of do I have to give up barbershop to continue on with my regular music? Yeah. I just always carried over everything that I learned from barbershop. And there was never a time in all of my teaching. So I went into teaching right after college and I I taught for 13 years, there was never a time where I didn't use barbershop at some point in the year to teach a concept or to support a concept or to simply show what people in the real world were doing with music. Yeah, that's awesome. So are you still teaching or do you have other things going on? I'm not teaching in the traditional sense. I definitely figured out that it was difficult for me to pour my 100% into being a mom as well as being a teacher, but I was given an amazing opportunity to continue going into schools and performing music, I get to sing with the group Snow Day. Yeah, Amanda, Amanda might have mentioned that at other times in the podcast. I'm not <laughs> sure, but Amanda and I get to spend lots of time together, and we get to really just bring 
to these young generation, these young students, what acapella does even outside of the music side of acapella. It really touches on as a human, as a person, how we use music as a form of language, as a form of self-respect. And it's really, it's shown me a lot more about how important our roles as educators are in the schools. It's made me, being completely honest, I was a little resentful when I first decided to leave teaching because I'm like, wow, they took away all that energy I had from my own kids. And I was like, I don't need teaching. I think it was more of a coping mechanism for me because there's always a part of me that's going to know that I'm meant to be a teacher in some way. But to be on the other side with Snow Day and to watch these teachers with their students and these students with their teachers, it's just, it's amazing. We got to remember that everybody starts in front of a teacher. Everybody starts with a teacher and multiple teachers. We probably are guided and geared by more teachers in our lives than we are any other adult figures. And we kind of look at our teachers like... Like they're not humans. (laughs) They're like junior citizens or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I feel like we like give us all of your time and all of your effort, but we're going to take away some of your dignity in the process. And I want these teachers to hear that, listen to this podcast, to know that being on both sides, it is evident how important we are. So keep it up. Absolutely. So to sort of marry that idea with one of the ideas of our podcast, which is really focusing on the feminine perspective. Like, Can you talk a little bit about perhaps women and teaching and some of the things that you think are good about that in terms of what they have to offer and particularly women teaching acapella or barbershop or in the music sphere? What are some of your experiences in that way? Excellent. Excellent. I was wondering when we were going to pull it in here. I've been, I've been, I've been trying <laughs> to think. always get to that. I know. I was proud. That was really awesome. So for me, I grew up in a little bit of a bubble Mm. where women were very much, we were respected as singers, but I never understood what women in leadership would look like because I was Mm. never exposed to it. Yeah. If I'm being perfectly honest, I had a middle school female choir director, but I wasn't actually in her class because I had to choose band over choir or one that you had to pick. And so I did show choir after school. But other than that, I had no, and I don't want to be like, I don't want to diss anybody by forgetting about them, but I didn't have, as far as I remember, strong music teachers. Now, this isn't to say I didn't have other strong teachers, but all of my teachers and music leaders were men. Yeah. Which looking back and looking now, now at our current generation of educators, I find that strange. Yeah. I find that to be a little bit of a strange world, (laughs) especially coming from rural Indiana. Yeah. I think in some ways, when people are like, oh, it's great for everybody to have the opposite... I think it would have been awesome to have been led by a really strong female because when I went to college, there were a couple strong female directors that I was with. But again, my teacher that I went with was a male Mm. and my directors of choral activities and all of the upper level choirs were male or co-directed by a female. And trying to learn how to lead, especially peers of men or young men, was really, really, really difficult for me. But I had this one moment when I went to, it was an honors choir event, Mm -hmm. and it was a very select amount of people that got chosen. I mean, I'm going to say I was like 10, so it was really young. Oh, young, And I was the only kid in my district that got chosen. And it was led by Mary Getze, very, very well-known composer of children's music, of choral literatures. And she was so, like, in charge. And I looked at her, 
And I was in awe of this woman. And I started talking to people, is your choir teacher a girl? And they're like, yeah. And everybody, nobody had this weird, like, absence of strong leader women in their life. I mean, I had my mother. I had other examples of that. But it just wasn't in my music world. So mm. for me, I kind of came out of college like, I'm going to be this super important and powerful teacher. And I often would get told that I led like a man. <laughs> and, and what I does that mean? didn't know what that meant and I had issues for a while where yeah. I was like am I what does that mean like I don't even know like my favorite people that taught me in school some of my favorite teachers were my male band director and choir directors and right and they were using it maybe as a pejorative and you were thinking it's a positive yeah I didn't take anything from them that wasn't just me being empowered. Mm. Um, My directors made me the, you know, I was the drum major and I was the dance captain and I was lady of the manor and just all those crazy leadership positions. And I never thought anything of it because I was learning my leadership style from them. Right. Yeah. And so when I first started teaching in 2005, 2005, that's where the mindset was. Mm. It was, man, you lead like a man. (laughs) Remember that in my first evaluation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or I, ooh, uh, you you need to know your place. Oh, you need to know when to listen and when to talk. Mm. So, you know, I have to say in 2019, in all of the groups that I stand up in front of now, I think we've come a long way. For sure. My kids wouldn't even know what to do if their teachers were told to not lead like a man or <laughs> to be, right. know their place. To so, know their place, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I've used... Once that got told to me very early in my career, being the kind of bratty girl that I contend to be, I was like, okay, well, that's my thing. So from then on, I just really made sure that I could command a room just as good as any loud mouthed male principal, I guess, (laughs) if that's where I was being compared to back in the day. And that I could demand respect for my female colleagues and my male colleagues just as well. And I've always taught my students that it doesn't matter, male, female, the music that we're creating, we're doing it for the exact same purpose. It's all about what's our intention. Why are we making Mm -hmm. this music? What are we learning from it? Does it matter if we're a boy singing or if we're a girl singing? And Barbershop has been one of the best vehicles to marry the gap between genders. Mm. It has, because when you listen to a male quartet, there's not a single part that someone can't lock onto. Females with the highest of voices can grab that tenor part. And boys with the, they have a two note range. They can find something. Boys that are sixth graders versus boys that are, 12th graders, you know, even in the vocal change, they don't feel like being the tenor part is taboo because they need you, you know, or they don't feel like having that weird bass voice when they're in seventh grade and nobody else's voices have changed. Oh, look, you're now the star. I love that. That's great. Yeah. So it's been a really, it's always been fun for me to mention the word barbershop and just get the reaction. I kind of hope barbershop still stays a little quirky and corny for lack of a better (laughs) word, because then we get to show them how amazing it is. Of course, I want more mainstream barbershop. But I guess another perspective I've always had is I always thought barbershop was just in the acapella world. I had no idea that it like wasn't a thing that everybody did. Yeah. I just thought everybody knew barbershop so I'd show up someplace and be like hey let's sing a tag and they'd be like what like (laughs) so 
know. <laughs> like you guys hang out and sing and wear crowns. What is what? Okay, <laughs> that's cool. So getting a little bit away from barbershop, I know that you are taking on a new career, new initiative, and you're training in Reiki, but you also want to use your music background to help with that. Can you tell us a little bit about what Reiki is for those who don't know and then how your music background will fit in with that? Oh, thank you so much for asking about this. It's really an important endeavor for me. And so clinically speaking, Reiki is an energy healing practice that is usually done by placing hands in certain positions lightly. Some people would call it lay of hands, very if you go back in ancient texts. And or you can slightly hover above the body. And Reiki promotes healing by activating the relaxation response. And it helps the body balance itself at the deepest molecular level. So since like relaxation in itself promotes our natural ability to heal. In many times in my Reiki, when I've had my own Reiki sessions, I will leave there instantly feeling free of pain, whether it's completely free of pain, it's just like a lessening of pain or anything, because I've actually taken that hour out of my time to relax and let my body heal. We often tell ourselves that we're doing it, but we're not doing it. And on top of all of that, with Reiki, the reason that Reiki practitioners have the hardest time saying what we actually do for a patient, because it's actually the patient who's doing all the work. I'm just encapsulating their energy. I mean, if you ever are next to somebody and you just feel them radiating an energy off of themselves, you know that that energy, you can manipulate it. So using my hands and using my body as a vessel of trying to channel that energy in and out and and re-kind of align it and just, if anything, people get 60 minutes of forced meditation. Nice. But at the deepest level, I truly believe that our bodies are much better at healing ourselves than we give them credit for. It's why I think music is such a powerful tool Mm. because that's our ears. Our ears take that in and processing that sound and our brain using that to watch it actually do things to the human body that it does you have to give yourself more credit and know that your energy is so powerful both for good as well as for negative on ourselves Mm -hmm. so my friend and I she was my teacher of Reiki we have decided to open a practice it's called Key Reiki Studio and her focus is going to be on the full body Reiki and adult Reiki my focus is going to be I'm going to still do full body Reiki and adults of any any patients that would want to see me. But my focus and my research that I want to put more of my energy into is studying how Reiki can help children and adults with ADHD. My own son and myself struggle with it daily. And being mindful is one of the number one things that has helped my son not live in the office every single day of his education. He spent almost every day of kindergarten in the office and most of first grade. So he lost a lot of learning time. And And yes, it does take the right teacher to handle kids like him, but I as a parent don't always help him by teaching him to unwind. I have a process at the end of my day to unwind, and I have a process of what I do, but why not teach my kid now at eight and really see if he can learn to heal his own body at the end of the day. And I also, with Amanda said, bringing music into it, I'm learning about sound healing and the different uses of frequencies and chakras, tunings to really activate certain vibrations inside of our body. Everything in the world, everything on earth, everything that we see has a vibration, whether it's alive or not. And so 
with the right pitches and with the right tones, you should be theoretically able to activate and just kind of shake things up in your body. I have a friend who really has studied hard the didgeridoo and he uses the didgeridoo as his form of sound healing and he has them tuned to certain frequencies so instead of like 440 tuning it to like 436 or 426 yeah so stay tuned hopefully i'll have some more research it's one of those baby ideas it's just getting born i feel better when i practice reiki so it's just something i now know that it's time for me to share with the world that is awesome thank you do you have any questions left rachel no but i did want to add that something that I learned today, which I thought was amazing, is that, I don't know if you all know, but Dick Van Dyke, at 93, is in his own barbershop quartet. He, he is. is. And he's like the fantastic. he's the cutest. Yeah. He's absolutely the cutest. So, again, being a barbershop nerd my whole life, we would go to conventions and randomly Dick Van Dyke would show up and just <laughs> pop up on stage and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's Bert! And like, I'd lose my mind. So, yes. yeah, he's phenomenal. You watch every single clip you can find of him on YouTube. He's wonderful. He's one of the best advocates for barbershop him and shockingly what is the dirty jobs guy's name mike rowe yeah. oh. mike rowe is a barbershop mike no rowe is a massive barbershopper yes he's massive what freddie king or fred king one of the godfathers of barbershop was his high school choir teacher that's amazing and yeah isn't that funny how yeah. many random connections to barbershop there are totally and i it was really just something that i heard today so i feel like it was very fortuitous for me to hear that ahead Love of this it discussion. <laughs> Love it. So Chris Adams, thank you so much for spending this time with us, sharing your thoughts and ideas and experiences with Vocal Perspective audience. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's truly an honor to be involved in this excellent podcast. I love listening to it every time it comes out. And that was Chris Adams. This segment, we're going to be talking about dressing for performances slash competitions and how do you do that in a way that is authentic to you? So I guess I'll start by saying that one of the things that I think that is a pet peeve in an audience is when it seems fairly clear that the person or people who are on the stage aren't comfortable in what they're wearing, that they dressed for how it looked in the mirror and not how it was going to be to actually perform in those outfits. And it makes me feel sad because I don't get the full effect of what they're trying to go for. It looks stilted. It looks uncomfortable. And so I guess my biggest advice would be to make sure that you're wearing something that you feel comfortable in. And whether that's 10-inch platform heels or a muumuu, I think that (laughs) (laughs) that is going to be, you know, sort of your best bet for projecting the most comfortable space to the people in the audience. Yeah, that's a good point because, yes, I have seen people on stage in what I would equate to a mumu, and they are still beautiful to me. They are still a great performer and they're owning what they're wearing. And I have seen people on stage in essentially bras and really short skirts. And when they own it, it's awesome. And the con- yeah. this conversation has changed even in the last 10 years for women. It used to be that people were telling women what they could and could not wear on stage, like yeah. very specifically. There are some, some suggestions that I will give. But again, if you're going to own it, own it. And I don't care what you're wearing on stage. You could come out topless for all I care. But if you are comfortable that way and it's appropriate for your audience, then go ahead. So the heels. All right. Ladies, we love wearing heels at least for half an hour until they start to hurt. And they look really cute. If you can't walk in heels, don't wear them. Or you better practice a long time before you get on stage. And 
It's walking in the heels. It's standing in the heels. It's doing your choreography in your heels. Yeah, I was just going to say, the, like the dancing in your heels. You, you have to be able to, to honor the choreo, the movement, the vision of the entire performance. And if you can't do that, then you're doing the whole group a disservice. Right. Because now instead of focusing on how great you are as a group, as a whole, I'm watching the girl that's stumbling a little bit. And it's just a natural thing. That's where my eyes are going to go. And don't worry about it not being as quote unquote sexy because you're not wearing high heels. There are plenty of sexy flats. There are plenty of flats that will make you feel confident because that's what heels do. Do. That's what they're intended to do. They are supposed to make you feel a little bit more powerful, a little bit more sexy, a little bit more confident. Yeah. But if you aren't feeling that way in them, then it defeats the whole purpose. Absolutely. Of them. Totally agree. So I think in a similar vein, I, yeah, I don't know how to say it because I feel like I don't want to say that you can't wear certain clothes. It really is more about what you can feel comfortable in. And yes, that's I think that's the biggest the biggest issue. So again, like short skirts. I don't care. I was at a show. It was the box sets, and I'm sure that they wouldn't mind me talking about it. It was on stage at the London Acapella Festival, and the stage is high, and their skirts, at least one of them, maybe two, skirts rode up. I could see this woman's underwear, and you know what? She just kept performing, and she didn't care, and you know what? The show, like, I I giggle a little bit about it. I don't know how I would feel about my underwear showing on stage, but she's like, you know what? This is what's happening, and I don't care, and I'm going to give a good show. On the other hand, I've seen women on stage wearing extremely short skirts. And that's not what bothers me. You want to rock a short skirt with a little bit of your behind hanging out, then you go ahead and do that. (laughs) However, when I watch you on stage and you're tugging at your clothes, whether it be your skirt or your crop top or your jacket, when you're tugging on your clothes and then your face starts to get a little awkward, like I know you're not comfortable in those clothes. Yeah. And that's what distracts me more so than the cut or the length of your outfit. Seriously, wear whatever you want and you have to try it on. And I've made this mistake too. Yeah. You have to try it on and you have to move in it to see what happens to your clothes. I don't want to see you tugging at your top to cover up your chest. And you have to know that that when you do your choreography or you walk around on stage long enough that if your skirt rides up and that's too short for your own comfort, then maybe you have to pick something else. I would say that on the flip side, if you want to be flirty with that and maybe wear some lollies underneath thinking that like there could be some sort of mishap, but intentionally, like there's a way to have fun with that, I think. Exactly. You could wear some (laughs) colorful bra, you could wear like, you know, some cute like lolly things, you know, whatever the cheerleaders wear under their, (laughs) under their skirts. One of my bandmates calls it her bloomers. Her bloomers. (laughs) She'll she'll recognize, and she doesn't just call them her bloomers, they're her bloomers. (laughs) Bloomers. It's very (laughs) Ethel Marmon. Bloomers. Um, (laughs) But it makes us laugh. And, you know, it's and then she feels more comfortable on stage because just in case there's a wardrobe malfunction that she's not comfortable with, she knows that she's at least in a position where she's not going to be completely embarrassed and not worrying about any mistakes that might happen. Yes, I think that there's definitely I think that you could there you could find ways to take advantage of some of that discomfort in your clothing doing things like that. You know, I've seen 
groups come out and like purposefully rip open clothing so that it exposes something fun underneath. And I think that that's an interesting technique that people can use with clothing that they may not be totally comfortable in to begin with. And your idea of what's comfortable might change. So I've been singing with Snow Day for 11 years now. And when we first started, I was the only girl and I felt like I had to dress a little bit more masculine. So I wore jeans, I wore a jacket, like a blazer. Yeah, blazer that it's early in the morning. and <laughs> But I was definitely wearing more masculine clothes. And then... See, that's funny because I would have thought you would have chosen to go the other route, which is if as being the only female to represent the femininity that you would have chosen something more more feminine to wear. That's I, I, that's interesting. Right. Well, and then, you know, I got to that point in my mindset of, wait, I don't... Well, and part of it was I was one of the first girls to be in a group like Snow Day where you do school shows and assemblies and that's your main thing. And I felt like I had to maybe ease the audience into it a little bit. Huh. And eventually I was like, no, look at these cute clothes that I really want to wear and I'm comfortable wearing them. So I kind of went the complete opposite direction and I went and got four inch sparkly heels and I started wearing sequin skirts and I started wearing really feminine clothing. And I loved that. Um, And then now I'm getting close to 40. And while I do still wear my really fun heels, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know what, I don't have two hours of extreme movement in these heels today. So I'm just going to wear flats. And that's okay. So now instead of like my uniform, I dress for what I'm feeling that day. I have the great fortune that I get to perform sometimes several times a week. Mm. So I can wear a multitude of different outfits and whatever my personality is feeling like that day, I can wear it as long as it's within our, you know, we have a, the only thing that I ask for Snow Day to do is to wear a certain palette of colors so that we look cohesive on stage and dress for the audience. Like when we're in schools, it's pretty lax. It's, you know, make sure we're dressed appropriate for being inside a school building, but it's not the same as when we're performing at a corporate gig or a wedding. Like clearly we have to dress up a little bit for those. But yeah, it could morph. Know that what you're comfortable in could morph and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Davisi, I think, has, are they still wearing the ties? I think they've moved away a little bit from the ties for some of their shows and noteworthy wearing yeah. ties because I think they were doing the same thing as I was uh, when I first came out. It's like, okay, well, you really want to love all male acapella? Well, here, we're just going to give you that, but we happen to be women. Yeah. So think about it. And Voices in Your Head has recently changed what they wear on stage. They used to wear the different colors and the girls were in tights and the guys were in ties. And the last time I saw them, they were doing a lot more of a relaxed look and your group can evolve you can personally evolve so let's see more of that and let's see more comfort on stage wear whatever you want thong, bikini, burlap sack, do whatever you need to, but be comfortable when you come out on stage. If you all have ideas about how you can address some of these dress (laughs) issues, let us know. You can contact us at onair at akaville.org and we would love to hear from you about some of your thoughts about dressing for performances and competition. 